know what's coming. Mm, my trial for regicide, yes, I know. I know the whole bloody country thinks I'm guilty. I know that one of my three judges has wished me dead more times than I can count. And that judge is my father. As for Cersei, well, she's probably working on a way to avoid a trial altogether by having me killed. Now that you mention it, she did ask. So, should I turn around and close my eyes? Depends. Did you do it? The Kingslayer Brothers. You like it? I like it. You really asking if I killed your son? You really asking if I'd kill my brother? This week on the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast, we're discussing Oathkeeper, directed by Michelle McLaren, written by Brian Cogman. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast. I am Kate Kalsik, TV editor of Sound on Sight, and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host, Ricky D, general editor, general editor of Sound on Sight. Hello, Kate. Now, if I were a dire wolf, what would you nickname me? What would I nickname you as a dire wolf? I, I am on the spot here. I don't know, but... <laughs> okay. Because I feel like you need something like happy-go-lucky because you love dogs so much. I don't. I feel like you'd be a happy dog all the time. So I don't know. Okay. I don't have anything creative planned. What would you name me? What would I name you? Yeah. Hmm. Windy. Windy. Okay. For the for Chicago. Yeah. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, what would we name Whitney? Our guest this week from my TV sanctuary is Whitney McIntosh. Whitney, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here. See, I, I see. I, I'm still terrible with this whole direwolf naming thing. What would you name yourself, Whitney? Oh, oh, geez, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I'm with Ricky. I don't have anything, uh, anything witty to, uh, to bring up here. Um, yeah, I'm not nearly creative enough for this. This is why I am a critic and not a writer. <laughs> I would, based on the winter out here, I would probably just say frozen at this point. <laughs> that would, see, but now I've got Let It Go stuck in my head, and I'm going to blame you for that, Winnie. It's going to be with me for the rest of the evening. I hope you're happy. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about a cheerier topic, hopefully, which is this week's episode of Game of Thrones, Oathkeeper. Uh, I, I feel like we should just get this out of the way at the top. They don't deal with the issue from last week. How are we approaching that this week? How do you guys want to approach the the rape scene from last week, which is just completely not mentioned or dealt with here? Are we just pretending it didn't happen like it seems like the show is, or are we waiting to see what happens next and so we're not going to worry about it, or do we want to discuss it? Whitney, what do you think? Well, I think it was weird as someone who has read the books, I did think it was a little weird last week, the way that the writers and director Alex Graves were 
responding to the criticism and the kind of curiosity of how that scene was staged. Um, and this week, just looking at it as kind of a follow-up episode and looking at the fallout and being that there really was no fallout, um, it's easier to see where they were coming from. Last week, it seemed like a blinded defense where they were not really admitting to the way it played out. This week, it seemed like that that was really the truth, that they didn't see that it was staged that way and it was a miscommunication between the acting, the directing, and the writing and that um, maybe the rest of this season will go such that, you know, there really is no fallout because there was never anything of an event that they saw it as a point of view. Um, So it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here through the next, you know, five, six episodes. But just from this episode, those through, you know, those few Jamie and Cersei scenes, it did feel like there wasn't really anything that they were responding to, which was curious to me. Yeah, so it's either we're pretending that the rape didn't happen or or wasn't supposed to be rape at the end of the scene, even though that's really how it played. Or this is just a thing that's happened before and it's happened enough times that it doesn't that neither Jamie or Cersei feel like it's an unusual thing that should affect their behavior. Uh, And those are very different. Ricky, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, my God. I'm so sick of talking about it. That's um, why I just want to get it out of the way. We're going to, like, two more minutes max, and then we're moving on. Okay, but I, I actually need to defend myself, because last week we had uh, a guest host named Derek. And I know Derek and Rick, similar names, and you can't see us talking, and we're two dudes, so maybe people got confused as to who was talking and when, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I just want to make it clear that last week I said I did not like the rape scene. I said that... It undermined, and I agreed with you, Kate, it undermined and totally put aside all of the character buildup of Jamie in season three. All I said was for a show that features women getting raped or threatened with rape or at least mentioned someone getting raped every single week, for me personally, it wasn't a shock to see a man who pushed a child out of a window, a man who murdered his own cousin and so on and so on do terrible things and especially that terrible thing is rape because i'm not a book reader i can't look ahead i was assuming there was a reason for the scene you know what i mean like maybe like we would find out something about jamie and and cersei in in the next few episodes you know what i mean i didn't know so all i'm saying is that i wasn't surprised or shocked that the show had a rape sequence but with that said based on this episode uh not only was it unnecessary but it was terrible writing i mean in this episode jamie's back to the character who we've grown to like throughout all of season three he's caring he's charming you know he's all buddy buddy with brawn he goes to visit uh, Tyrion in the prison and i was just like what the hell guys and and that comment made by Alex Graves, oh, my God, he's going to regret ever saying that. He thought Apparently that... he already does. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he's already so... on it. He's already retreaded but, but, it. You know what's really crazy, though, Kate, is people sending me hate mail and they're like, oh, Jamie's a good guy. I'm like, no, Jamie's never been a straight up good guy. This is the guy who I saw push a child out of a window back in the first episode of the series. Okay. To me, a child murderer is not a good guy. He's never been a good guy. We've grown to like him and it's okay to grow to like him. And he's changed and losing his arm and, you know, his whole buddy partnership with Brienne has changed him as a person and people can change, which is fine, but he's never been a good person since the start of the show. That is crazy. When someone tells me that he's always been a great person to me, that is crazy. So, so taking a hard controversial stance, anti, child murder ricky uh bold move 
I, I, I uh, don't know if I would be so bold as to make that uh, assessment. I compliment you on that. Uh, basically, guys, stop, stop sending Ricky hate mail. <laughs> but um, the the thing, though, I will say is maybe it's something that they will touch on further. Maybe this is they'll try to retcon something, you know, or, or like add shading in over time and come up with some sort of a fix. Right now, it feels like this is a pay no attention to the man behind the curtain thing. Uh, and so I, like I said, I'm kind of okay treating it as such, but, um, it, it is really unfortunate that they couldn't do some creative editing or ADR or I don't know, something. To, to your point, Ricky, about the writing being so just bad in the situation, I'm wondering if they're trying to, trying and failing to frame it as a situation where they're looking to present Jamie in that, you know, two sides of his life and two sides of his personality, especially in this situation where he's been, you know, looking at the Kingsguard um, journal, book, whatever it is, um, and kind of looking at his events and the, that he has accomplished in his life. Um, and, you know, maybe they're trying to be nuanced about the way that you can't really be a good person or a bad person 100% of the time, and, and it's just not coming across that way. I'm curious to see as the season goes on whether, it, you know, his actions for the past season and a half basically – kind of flush out a little bit more or if it really just stays this awkward situation where they're trying to make him one person and he's not. You know, I totally agree. And that's why last week I was saying like his situation back in season three is completely different than him in season four, where he's in King's Landing. He's comfortable. He's surrounded by people he trusts. He's kind of a leader. He's like, you know, the son of Tyron. Um, and, and his relationship with Cersei is completely different than his relationship with Brienne. It's like he actually has a respect for Brienne and Brienne did help save his life and you know, he did get his hand chopped off last season, which is a big deal for Jamie because he's a Kingslayer and he depends on his hand. It's like what he's known for being a great warrior. But my problem isn't the way they are writing Jamie because Jamie's always been, you know, a blur. He's always been the guy that's done terrible things and a guy that's also won our hearts over. It's the way they're writing Cersei's character because in this episode, she's angry at him, but she's not angry at him because he raped her. No, she's angry about everything else in her life, but not about the fact that he raped her. It was like, that is my problem. It's the way they're writing her character. And that's a problem character at this point, at least for me, at this point in the books. We should, I should say, I, I forgot to say this at the top of, of the podcast. I've read the books. Ricky has not read the books. Whitney, you said that you have. We will not be spoiling anything from the future of the books. We will only be talking about things that have happened to this point in the TV series as well as their analogs in the book. So no spoilers. Fear not. Moving on. Cersei, at least for me, is it becomes a problem character at a certain point because in, in the books because they, uh, the the writing for her shifts and becomes I I, I don't know I think less interesting. I Whitney, I, I'm curious what you have to say about that. Um, I agree. Yeah, but yeah, so, and so this for is this you know I like I really enjoy the performance actually from Lena Headey and they, this we can move us to talk about the specifics of this episode. But I love just how. You know, second or third glass of wine she is in that scene with Jamie. And they've really uh, played up her increased drinking, her increased, uh, you know, tying more parallels maybe to Robert, as well as as she, her power wanes, as she loses control, she becomes more erratic uh, and she becomes less relatable. And I, I think it's really easy to lose touch of, of that character, to, to lose to lose respect for her. And I, we, you know, we see that where she's just so convinced it has to be Tyrion, even though all sense would say otherwise. Um, and then she wants to 
Sans is like the nice, you know, the nicest, most likable person on the show besides like Arya. Uh, so, so when she's going after these characters for little to no reason, it's very hard to relate to her when you add in this other stuff as well, Ricky, that you're saying that it's definitely a problem character for me, for me right now, much as I enjoy that performance. Whitney, how's that, how's Cersei working for you right now? Uh, I agree with you on the fact that Lena Headey is just absolutely acting the hell out of it um, with the material she's been giving and the situation that it is. Um, but I, I think it is very dangerously heading towards this space where she's not as well-defined a character as she was. Um, obviously, this can be easily remedied. It's only been a few episodes of this kind of shaky space. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's only so many parallels that can be drawn before she's not her own person anymore. Uh, and that and before she's not the person from the first three seasons that, you know, you kind of, I don't want to say fell in love with, but that you were, you admire and respect with what power she has and what she's trying to do for her family um, from the perspective that she knows. And I think the situation with Tyrion uh, as kind of dark it is, as it is, it really hits home that, you know, the past three seasons she's repeated over and over again, how much she hates her brother and how much their family kind of um, resents him for all of these imaginary reasons. Um, and this just really drove home that she does hate her brother. It's not a, uh, you know, a light situation. It's not a family feud. It's someone who has actively, you know, wants her, her little brother dead, which I think, you know, flushes out a little bit of what the character is at the same time where she's losing her identity, which is interesting to me. And I think a big word you said there was respect. We don't have to like, I'm, I really don't have to like characters but I need to respect them or be interested in them. Uh, and, and and that's where we're in danger of, I think. I think Cersei's in danger of not being interesting anymore. Um, and certainly, we, I don't think we particularly respect her at, at this point. Ricky, what do you think? Do, we, do you respect Cersei right now? No, she's not in danger. She's just not interesting. Come on. She's been drunk for like five or six episodes now. She's not interesting. She's getting raped by... Jamie and she doesn't respond to it and no she's not interesting and she's the least interesting aspect of King's Landing which is saying a lot because when we're at King's Landing usually the dialogue the acting the performances the interactions between the cast it's solid I mean even if there's aspects of, of some uh, episodes that are kind of shaky and you might not like so and so happening in the north or so and so happening in the south whenever we get back to King's Landing it kind of at least for me, it makes me once again 100% invested and I'm totally glued to the screen, except for when she comes on. And I'm like, why am I watching this lady? I do not like this character. I think they've completely ruined her character. And it's it's been, it's not just because of the last episode. It's been a slow progression, but she hasn't done anything. I mean, last week, or was it two weeks ago, when we talked about King Joffrey, maybe it was the right time for him to die because otherwise the character would have been played out. He just keeps on repeating the same beats. I feel like that's what's happening with her right now. Just briefly, uh, without getting too much into the Daenerys storyline right now, I think the the parallels in the storytelling right now between Cersei and Daenerys are very, very troubling. Um, in that, Ricky, as you were saying, I don't, I'm not interested when they come on screen. Um, it's not anything that draws my attention to the show. It's something that I can do things in the background whenever either of them are on screen right now, and that's not a good thing. When you know those were two of your most powerful, especially female characters. Uh, you know, that's not that's not anything I would like to see kind of continue. Well, and yeah. for me, the, the transition with Cersei happened last season when she went from a very nuanced, very interesting, very intelligent character to 
Tywin saying, no, basically you're you're just stupid. You're you're not as smart as you think you are. And I'm showing up and you're going to now just act out like a child and ha no longer have agency or interesting things to do. And that that was a very specific transition with last season, right? When uh, when he shows up and all of a sudden he's bossing her around and she's not getting to make any choices for herself. Uh, that was it was as great as as uh, Tywin is and, and that that relationship and that you know, pretty much every scene with Taiwan, Tywin is a good one, <laughs> but uh, but that that really marked the shift for me. Uh, wh what about you guys? And where did you see that shift for Danny? Was it I want my dragons? <laughs> oh my god, Danny is a problematic character. I really want to like her storyline, and I kind of like her character. I mean, it helps that she has dragons and she frees slaves. But I'm totally with Whitney. Um, when she comes on screen now, I just want to change the channel, like. And it's getting to the point where we're basically watching her walk from one city to the next city. We're not getting these epic action set pieces, even though they're supposed to be like this large invasion. And it's it's just, oh, my God, it's so boring. Like, I understand HBO maybe doesn't have the budget, but they got to do something more than watching one man run into an alley and all of a sudden pinning a flag on top of a tower. I was completely disappointed this, this episode once again. I mean... And, and yeah, and if you want to talk about rape sequences, I still have a bigger problem with her getting raped way back in what? What was it? Season one, season two? Season than one. I do with yeah. season one. Yeah. And it's just like, it, it, it seems like no one made a big deal or maybe they did. Maybe I just wasn't, I just wasn't reading articles at the time, but I felt like nobody made as big of a deal about her getting raped as they did with Cersei last week. And um, yeah, disappointing. Her scenes are just completely disappointing. We bring up how repetitive it is, I think, is a great point, because I thought they've made certain specific changes from the book, just kind of tweaks along the way. And I thought what they were doing was heading towards a place where it would really bring her story to life um, instead of, uh, again, kind of a monotone, repetitive um, attack after attack. Oh, we have this city. Now we have this city. Um, and it didn't really end up that way, as I was hoping. So I'm curious as to what their goal is here, because they really have a way to bring her story to life in the show that didn't really happen in the books. Um, and I, I don't want them to fall into the same trap that, you know, books four and five did in regards to similar, you know, a similar repetitiveness. So I, I am just, I don't know, this whole situation with the new Dario and, you know, Jorah and all, all of the men just falling at her feet. It feels very uh, cliched, I guess, when it really shouldn't be when you have this actress that is really handling the material well and, you know, you have dragons. You made a good point. You have three dragons. Why is it so boring? <laughs> I know. And, and you know, the, the problem with her scenes is like when you when you go to King's Landing and you have a simple scene with Jamie and Lady Olana and Marjorie, whoever, you, you know, who, who's whoever's at King's Landing right now, we get to learn something about that part of the world, about the history, about their characters, about who they're related to and so on and so forth. With her, in the past, like, 10 episodes, all we know is she wants to free slaves and she has dragons. We haven't learned anything new about her character since season one. And so that's why it's hard for me to be to continue to be invested in this storyline. It's just, it's boring. I don't care if she has dragons. It's actually freaking boring right now. Well, you know, but I, what I will say is, well, first of all, in, in the defense of the show, we... We met her when she was. We know we know what she was like when we met her, and that she was basically not formed. She was just there to to do whatever her brother told her to, and she didn't have. She hadn't begun really asserting herself in any way. So I mm -hmm. feel like we we know pretty much everything 
to know about her right now. Uh, we'll we'll see how that transitions. But I, I do like what we get this week with Grey Worm and Missandei. I really like that scene, and I, and I think it really expanding on some of those characters and how they relate to Danny, or if they're going to have you know more interaction with her, and she draws out more interesting things about them. That's maybe the approach to take because I loved what we got with Grey Worm. Grey Worm. Well, if we get more of that, yes. But I mean, we haven't, and that's the thing. Like, like, like you said, Kate, they can use her to build the characters around her, but they are not. It's still focused on her primarily, at least from what I've seen in the past. I don't know, like season or so. Um, so I don't know. I was just like kind of disappointed, and I mean, the fact that she actually decides to take the masters and nail them to the cross, I think, is a bad decision. Like, I think it's going to bite her in the ass in the future. We'll see. I don't know. I just I I I just want to see more of something, something new when when we're falling around Danny. I think the facet of that uh, that move on her part and the fact that it will probably bite her in the ass was so heavily foreshadowed as well that it really didn't create any more interest for me. You know, you have this storyline. Why would you not wait to kind of reveal that or not foreshadow it as much? in order to make the story more more worthwhile down the line, it didn't really make sense to me that, okay, now the audience knows exactly where this is going, uh, presumably in that she's going to kind of regret this decision in, you know, a month, uh, six months, however long we're with her in Marine. Um, and I, I, again, I think it's such a misstep and such an incredible lost opportunity to create some energy during in that part of the universe of Westeros. Um, and, I, you know, I really did like that scene with Grey Worm and Sandy, But at the same time, I believe that's the first conversation the two have ever had. They've been in the same group for, you know, almost a full kind of season worth seasons worth of episodes. And it's just misstep after misstep in that area, um, especially where I think, Kate, you mentioned kind of the history of her family. We haven't learned anything. You have Jorah right there. He knows the history of her entire family. That's the reason he's been there since however long. I don't understand why they're not using the opportunity of him kind of clearly loving her and being there to support her to flesh out some of what makes her, what motivates her right now besides her brother being an idiot. Yeah, and also the scenes with Grey Worm were great, but it didn't feature Danny. Like that's the thing. Like it's like whenever Danny's on screen, it's repetitive. Um, so yeah, they got to really build on in build that part of the world and that character. They got to do a better job. Well, and the other thing with that is, Danny doesn't have an equal, and maybe they're building towards that with with Dario making him more of a. Because uh, if if it looks like they're building towards some sort of a relationship, right? That's why they recast him, and they they uh, they've shown a few shots of her uh, checking him out and stuff. That scene with the flowers. Yeah, scene with the flowers, exactly. And so maybe they're building towards something where they will have a more equal relationship, at least when she's not being the queen, uh, the mother of dragons, and all of that. But right now, her relationship with each of her generals is very much a uh, queen and queen's guard. So they do not have an equal relationship. So they can, there is a limit to how open those conversations can be right now. And so that is, is another inherent issue with, or, or, or problem with that. And, and that requires more creativity from the writers. And hopefully that's, that's going to shift. Um, and when you talk about uh, regretting her decisions, I think another thing, I think this goes back to what you were saying, Whitney, I think it's a, uh, it's less an problem of following the books or of plotting and more a problem of execution because you could have easily tied that more thematically, that decision back to the long series of decisions we've seen from our characters over the course of the series 
choosing to go with what is just or, or what is right over what is smart and uh or, or what is kind in like contrasting what would Ned have done? What would, uh, what would Catelyn have done? What would each of these characters or even what her forefathers had done, what the Targaryens did and contrasting her moves with kind of their mistakes, huge opportunity missed there. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's talk about, uh, cause we already, we're, we'll go North at the wall quickly here, but before we move completely out of this realm, I do want to talk a little bit more about King's Landing, uh, and uh, the scenes we got with, with Marjorie and uh, Lady Olena and Tommen. I really liked what we got with Tommen. But before we go to that, uh, Ricky, do you want to be do doing any I Told You So dance with Lady Olena there? Oh, yeah. But come on. It was kind of obvious. I mean, I haven't read the books. But if you go back and rewatch those episodes, it's pretty obvious that she was responsible for poisoning Joffrey. I'm trying I... to give you credit here. He He, he figured it out. Well, yeah, I figured it out. But but I had no clue Littlefinger was involved. I had to think about that. And when you think about it and you go back to, I think it was like season two when he first meets Marjorie and they have that little little conversation, that's where I think he started plotting, you know, Joffrey's death. I, I'm actually glad Marjorie doesn't know or didn't know that, you know, she was trying to kill Joffrey because I kind of, you know, it's nice to know that she's not as evil as everyone else at King's Landing. Like, I do think she's somewhat a good person to some degree compared to everyone else surrounding her right now. Uh, but at King's Landing, I think my favorite scenes this week came from Jamie, apart from the Jamie Cersei scene. But Jamie dueling with Braun once again, Jamie visiting his, uh, his, his brother in prison, uh, and Jamie and Brienne. Jamie giving her the sword. That was the episode's warmest moment. And, you know, it's kind of sad to see those two characters split up. But, you know, now she has Podrick. And um, I'm kind of hoping that Brienne and Pod can be like the new Jamie and Brienne for the rest of the season. So to me, that was the highlight of the episode. Oh, come on. The new the new uh, Jamie and Brienne is, is Arya and the, and the Hound. Yeah. OK. But I'm hoping that Brienne and Pod will be as interesting as Arya and the Hound and or Jamie and Brienne. It could happen. It could, okay, okay. Well, I look forward to that to that pairing certainly. Um, as for as for the the Marjorie scene, that's a change from the books, right, Whitney? Uh, I believe so. The uh, Marjorie and Olena scene, correct? Yeah, I believe. I think it wasn't so blatant in the books as uh, Olena kind of spelt it out here for her granddaughter. Yeah, it's something when you when you read the books, you know as soon as. Uh, as, as soon as the Purple Wedding happens and Joffrey is dead, it's it's really easy to trace back to the things to a conversation because Lady Elena comes over and fusses with the hair and, you know, she had given um, Sansa a brooch to wear in her hair at the, that, that she moved. You, know, you can tell basically that you can tie it in with a conversation that had happened a chapter or two before hmm. with Lady Elena and Marjorie and the fact that, you know, Sansa's just being oblivious at this point. <laughs> Uh, but Lady Elena and Marjorie are basically like, hmm, so he's a sadist. We'll have to do something about that. <laughs> so, you know, so Marjorie is in on it in the books. So it is a shift. And, uh, oh, I mean, really? yeah, as I, I mean, unless I'm misremembering. The books are much more Agatha Christie and the show made it much more uh, clue mystery dinner for the audience to figure out. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah, I mentioned the 10 Little Indians last week, but the thing is, I still want to know if the prince was involved because the prince is a maker of poisons, but they haven't made it clear in a TV show yet. So we know Littlefinger is involved. We know Dantos was involved. We know Lady Lana was involved, but there could still be one or two more people. And we'll have to see what happens with that. 
dot 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 not <laughs> you saying any spoilers um i also really liked those scenes with uh with jamie i had the, the scenes with brienne were lovely but i couldn't help but have them tinged by jamie's a rapist now so that makes brienne uh an idiot because there's finally this person she respects the last person that she pledged her oath to was Ren renly who didn't deserve it and now we're like oh but now she's with now she's all, you know, buddy-buddy with uh, with Jamie, who is deserving, except he isn't because he's a rapist. So I, I was trying to kind of set that bit aside, and, then that, and that is something that I will have to tie back in with at the end of the season or next season, depending on how they approach. If it's a pay-no-attention, then I love the scene. It was lovely. If it's not a pay-no-attention, then the scene made me sad. Wait, this is what I'm confused about. Wait, so you're upset because she trusts a man now who is capable of rape, but she trusted a man who was capable of murdering a child last season, and that yes. didn't bug you? Yes. This is crazy talk. Because they didn't the character work last season where it did not even remotely redeemed him of that, but they put the time and energy into building him up to a point where she could conceivably... Uh, you know, partially forgive him for that. At this point, it, it's completely going back on all that character building, as we mentioned before. And it's this type of rip ripple effect from that storytelling decision that kind of ruins that decision for me and makes it so important that they made it. Because, again, it ripples out to it affects uh, Brienne. It affects Cersei and Cersei's actions towards Tywin and Cersei's actions towards Tyrion and Jamie's actions towards Tyrion. It, it has all these little touches that you don't quite realize until they happen and if it really isn't going to be ignored, then these character relationships are kind of completely blown up at a certain point. You can't trust the motivations or the emotions that they're trying to build because they, they kind of just detonated it last week. Well, and also he, yes, this is somebody who would try to, who tried to kill the child. He tried to kill a child so that his children wouldn't be killed when their parentage was discovered. I mean, yeah, obviously but... it doesn't make it okay, no. but that's it, it. At least there's a reason as opposed to rape. Cause I feel like it. If you go back and watch the first episode, he didn't just accidentally, you know, knock Bran out of, out of the window. No, it he wasn't made, like he decided he goes, yeah, things he I do walked... for love and he kills it. He tries to but kill him. But, reason but he walked up to a very slow menacing with this evil grit on his face and had his one liner and then pushed the boy. Like that was so evil. That like, was him evil. deciding. That was oh that time God. was him deciding. Yeah. No, I, but hey, that that's that's where I'm coming from. <laughs> Before we leave King's Landing, kind of on a lighter note, I did appreciate um them bringing out a little bit of that sly, sarcastic humor that the show is sort of known for, you know, every few episodes. The season has been so dark. I really did love seeing, you know, Jamie and Tyrion having that little bit of a reaction or interaction together, um, you know, not joking around about murdering each other and their sons, but just, you know, a brotherly joshing around and some other points with Marjorie and Tommen and Sir Ponce. Um, and things like that. It, it was nice, you know, it's almost halfway through the season to see a little bit of a lighter note, um, you know, with Olena and things like that, especially when Littlefinger, who was usually the comic relief, is now kind of sinister and secretly kidnapping Sansa and so on and so forth. So <laughs> I did like those little touches kind of here and there that were brought out this episode to not quite lighten the mood, but uh, at least break it up a little bit. Sir, sir you just mentioned the name, uh, Sir... Sir, the cat is it Sir Pounce? Sir Pounce? Sir Pounce. Sir Pounce. So that's the cat. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love it. I love it how even though Joffrey is dead, we're still reminded of how terrible the person he is. It, you know, I think they. I was about to say that they they've done such a great job in two episodes of <laughs> of cr- creating Tommen, basically, and really, we, I feel like we have a really good sense of him already, and he basically has had two scenes. They've done yeah. a better job with him than they have with Danny and Cersei at this point. I mean, yeah, I totally agree. I think I know who this kid is. I think he's like a really good-hearted person he doesn't feel like he's a lannister he doesn't feel like he's cersei's son i think he can actually be a good king and uh i mean it's kind of weird he's 12 and she sneaks into his bedroom because she's like how old is she by the way because like... <laughs> well, in the books they skew the ages from the books to the show i think about a four-year shift uh okay. so i believe she's supposed to be around 16 Oh, okay. Yeah, they they aged. They wanted to cast Natalie Dormer, so yeah. they they aged her up. Like, yeah, that actress is about ten years older than the character is. So I they they don't they fudge it. They don't remind you of her age very frequently. Uh, she's supposed to be around the same age as Sansa. When yes, she, yeah, when... and they were both twelve when it started. So yeah, so I think yeah, sixteen, seventeen, an appropriate age to be kind of sneaking into rooms and using your feminine wiles to get in close to your future husband. Right, but when she reached over to kiss him, I was like, if she kisses him on the lips, that's going to be weird. But then she kissed him on the forehead. I'm like, oh, okay. But uh, Sansa does not look 16. Like, she looks like she's in her early 20s. Like, she looks like she's in college or university. Sophie Turner is actually 18. So, oh, really? uh, but, but yeah, okay. and that's something we talked about. I mean, in this episode, actually, it was Bran. I was watching Bran. I was like, he's he's there's something in the water up in the north i think they're lucky that that character can't walk because his height would be giving it away by now (laughs) i think that's an easy way to hide it actually they they lucked out with that character and that casting kind of combining for the good here but i mean just looking at his face you know the (laughs) bone structure of his face and the one direction haircut he's going with it's got those eyebrows very 15 years old Well, do we have any other thoughts for King's Landing? I, when you mentioned the comedy, Whitney, I'd also throw in, like you had said, Ricky, that, that scene with Bronn. I'm so glad that they changed that up and put Bronn into that role. Again, that's a change from the books. But, you know, I really enjoy that character and uh, the performance has been great, too. So to give him more to do and give a further tie between Jamie and Tyrion, who it's easy to forget that they've had very little, very few scenes together over the course of the series because one or the other one of, one or the other of them has been in prison <laughs> most of the show um but yeah i also really like that any other thoughts king's landing or shall we move up north no i just want to see more of sir P- pounce is it sir pounce <laughs> sir pounce it's adorable oh. i got sir. a very crookshanks vibe from that cat um, yeah definitely <laughs> creeping around in the dark <laughs> oh well let's let's go to uh let's go to castle black did did you appreciate ricky having that conversation that basically the one that we had on the podcast about is is Gilly any better off in, in uh, Molehill uh, than she is at Castle Black? Do you appreciate that happening on screen this week? Oh my god! It took long enough for him to realize that sending Gilly to Molestown was a dumb, dumb idea. <laughs> like I couldn't help but laugh when I uh, when I saw that scene. Yeah, um, I liked everything uh, north of the wall, and uh, I liked everything with Jon Snow once again. Jon Snow is one of my favorite characters, which I know a lot of people don't like his character, but I think they're doing a really good job in writing him this season, much better than the previous uh, three seasons. I agree. I liked the uh, the addition of the new character, Locke, which is a little bit of a change from the book. I actually thought he was a different character at first. Uh, so when he introduced himself and when the story played out a little differently, I, I did like that change. I think that's a nice way to 
again, kind of tie the events in King's Landing and down south of the Wall back up there and, and kind of incorporate everything that's been happening all across the Seven Kingdoms into this small group of 100 men who are supposedly protecting it. Um, I did enjoy seeing John kind of realize the situation he's in as far as uh, being in a terrible position, not being able to get any power, even though he's one of the most deserving people up there as far as training um, and, and smarts and his noble background. So I appreciated getting a little bit of a different perspective instead of him being um, just timid all the time and, and just going to fight some random people and chill with some wild wildlings for, you know, months and months. I have two questions. Okay. First of all, Alistair and Slint, are they worried that Jon Snow is going to become too popular? Like, can he sort of take over and become the head of the council type thing? Right. That's what they were speaking about when they were saying um, you can't be, you know, you're the commander in, in, uh, kind of, you know, watch? um, yeah, okay. the commander of the watch, you know, they were like, you're, you're not the permanent commander yet. When they were speaking to him about Jon Snow, there's going to be a vote kind of giving him the heads up that he's getting pretty popular with the small group of guys they have. And, and maybe to keep an eye out, um, you know, and maybe do something about it. Cause he is kind of getting a little of a groundswell underneath him as far as possibly being in a position of power someday. Okay, and question number two, how come nobody knows that Locke is the same man who, I don't know, chopped off Jamie's hand, who, like, threw Brienne in the bear pit, who's uh, allied with the Boltons? Like, doesn't anybody know who he is? They're busy trying to not get killed by White Walkers and Wildlings. No, they don't. Yeah, but they have their, like, magic crows that send messages back and forth. They don't have magic crows. The magic <laughs> crows are only in Bran's dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. How do they communicate? I mean, how does... Uh, how does what's-his-face... Um, the Ravens? Uh, the Ravens, thank you, yes. The Ravens don't go, by the way, I hear the Kingslayer got his hand cut off. Who did it? <laughs> That's not what the Ravens are for. Well, this is what the world needs. It needs better communication. <laughs> they need the internet. They need Wi-Fi. <laughs> up at Castle Black. Totally. Fair enough. Um, I do think it's interesting. It, it creates another layer of people going to the Night's Watch, uh, sometimes not of their own accord, sometimes you know, they kind of are like Samwell is. Um, it is an interesting dynamic of people being able to completely reinvent themselves in usually sinister ways where, you know, Locke has now these ulterior motives and he has a past that no one knows about, which is pretty relevant to what they're doing up there. And I, I think we've seen this a few times now with, you know, men of the Night's Watch just not really sharing the whole story because no one's really trustworthy. They're all kind of criminals. You know, it's it's not a brotherhood in the sense that everyone trusts each other it's well, a brotherhood in the sense that they were forced to be there and they can tell each other whatever they want to because they're not communicating through anything but word of mouth clearly i mean if sam's gonna send gilly to a horror house there's got to be something wrong yeah that that's the safe and less creepy option yes that's that's a good point um let's see we shall we uh, go over to crasters because i i want to i'm glad we have another book reader on the podcast this week None of that was in the book, right? I'm not like forgetting Zero. some yeah. massive. Yeah, okay. I yeah. thought so. I, I was interested in that. I really actually appreciated this. I don't know how they're gonna, if they're gonna continue to change things with that next week, or if we're gonna have you know, a shift such that they maintain. I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm hoping it's gonna be similar to the Arya change that they made with her and Tywin. Uh, where she's generally still on the same path that she was in the books, but it just added some more shading and a little bit of a more entertaining twist to her background and to her journey. Uh, I, I hope that they might be doing something like that because, again, most of the episode last night was different from the books. I think this is the 
the episode with the most changes that we've seen so far. And when we got to that point with Craster's Keep and then the brand developments, it, they really just blew it up. That was the point where I said, okay, they're really taking this episode and going in their own direction. Um, so, yeah, we will have to see if it loops back around to being a similar storyline. But Bran's storyline in the book really just bored me after a while because it was very static. So I am I am interested, similar to you, Kate, to see kind of where they're going with this and and, uh, and especially with Jojen and Mira and them figuring out that Bran is a Stark right, kind of right away. When, when you say none of it, you mean like none of it like – Coder wasn't locked in chains in a book like ghosts. They, they never went to Craster's Keep. No, oh. they just kept going north. <laughs> yeah, they they don't. You know, I, I would be very surprised if this was anything other than an added incident along their journey. Which again would be fine with me because they need that type of thing in Brand's storyline. They do. Well, and also it, it adds more connections, and it it's a nice reminder of. Yes, but whether whether Jon Snow shows up and we get a scene with him and Bran or it's another near miss like we had uh, with the thunder in the 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 Bran jumping into the the wolves, uh, you know, and and even just forget an answer of where the hell is ghost? You know, there there's some 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 stuff, fun stuff here. I appreciate it. I also really appreciated uh, they I mean, Bern Gorman, they they really built up a nice uh, mini boss for us this week okay but so in the book is ghost like captured like the way he is in this episode okay he's not and is summer he just goes hunting and never comes back correct i can't remember specifically because basically he's able john john and ghost have enough of an understanding that he's like i gotta go do this wildling thing and you can't be around for that right and then they meet back up later and so one thing that was unclear about the episode is the summer fall under thin ice, like a summer still alive or do we just yes. not know yet? She's just injured. Yeah. Okay. And, and she it, was like a bear trap, I believe like a, a you yeah. know, stick covered hole that they set specifically for that reason. Because here's the reason why I really like the scene this week, because I really want to see John and Bran reunite. And I want to see John reunite with his direwolf ghost. And I want to see the four of them just kind of like start venturing out together. Because I, I really I think I'm, I'm a big fan of the Starks and especially Bran Stark. And again, a lot of people don't like this character, but I like the supernatural elements of the show. I, I like the fact that he can sort of close his eyes and go into Summer's body and take the shape and form. Well, not the shape and form of the, the, the direwolf, but I mean, he he becomes like spiritually like summer from what I understand. And like all of that really interests me, but what about the white walkers? Like, is that in the book? Like the final, no, No? No. so there's no no baby that turns into like ice and his eyes go all blue. And he looks like he's at the the fortress of solitude type thing. Keep in mind, this is a first person narrated book. Who would narrate that scene? The white walker. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So no, there's no character you follow in that scene. So it was an original creation when the, the creepy fingernail, uh, yeah. was was going on the face. I was like, what? What is it gonna? And then the eye. I thought that was very well done, effectively creepy. And it's you know, it's the the show basically going, hey guys over here, there's like a, a doomsday apocalypse thing coming. Yeah, that's still you, happening. You see, I didn't like the scene at all. First of all, that dude needs a manicure. Second of all, it looks like it's Superman's like secret hideout. Like it looks like the Fortress of Solitude. It reminded and... me of Chronicles of Narnia. That too, yes. And uh, I don't know, the baby looked a little too happy when he became like an ice walker, whatever you call it. Um, but Hodor, man, I'm sorry, I do not like Hodor. Like, what I, is wrong with you? I could care less if he's locked up in chains or if they chop him up. He's such a useless character. He just screams Hodor all the time. And the internet just exploded. 
Yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> I understand that there's no such thing as a wrong opinion theoretically, but that's that is a wrong opinion. Okay, Hodor's why? Awesome. Explain <laughs> to me why do you like Hodor? Why do I like Hodor? What yeah. is there to not like about Hodor? We've complained, or we're not complained, but we've discussed it in the past. I mean, last week we were talking about how how most of the people on the show, at the very best, are uh, are challenging in the fact that they're terrible a lot of the time and how refreshing and wonderful and and important it is to have characters like Sam or like um, uh, Shireen who are just good people who are just good and Hodor is just good he's not good for Bran he keeps getting in the way and he keeps are you kidding me he screams and he yells and he gives out their hideout and like gives away where they're hiding and he's he causes problems and he slows them down. I mean he, he carries the boy for like a hundred miles at this he point. He carries Bran. <laughs> yeah, they could just get a horse. No, they couldn't. <laughs> Why not? Do you see where they oh my god. Okay, no. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> he couldn't just get a horse and replace Hodor. No. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Whitney, do you have a heart and or soul and were you sad to see uh hodor in chains and being stabbed i i was i thought it was that enough kind of how we were speaking before that thunder issue where it was a close call and it's sad that you're watching uh, you know him being upset because they do build him into a great character with the kind of limited resources they have and i mean especially when they were back at winterfell and everything and he is just such a defender of the stark family and uh you know, he is challenged in certain ways. And I think it's great, again, to see someone who's just good and just wants the best for Bran and will just do what's best for the group as a whole. And now he's just kind of being tortured. And it's another one of those dark moments. And it just makes me so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Ricky, you're 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 out on a limb by yourself on that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, uh, any other? Uh, let see. What else? Is there anything else? Is that, I feel like we've covered all of our our main bases. I do touch on um just michelle mclaren you you know oh yeah we uh, haven't talked about the last episode she's she directed was second sons last season when sansa and Tyrion get married um when gilly and sam are attacked by the white walker um and just a few other important things happen there and i thought it was nice that she came back in an episode again great work as always she's one of my favorites um she came back in an episode where she was entrusted with a lot of the same beats you know this time it's the fallout from a wedding um you know uh, the same kind of depressing uh family members related to that wedding whereas before it was Sansa being upset this time it's Cersei you know mourning her son and she was also entrusted with the first real look we got of the White Walkers last year and this time you know they gave her again one of the biggest changes from the book to kind of uh, put a solid face to what they're dealing with north of the wall. And that was such a beautiful composition of the, you know, the white Walker riding into their little fortress on his horse and, and the, you know, just everything was great in this episode. I thought it was a nice symmetrical pair to the episode last year that she did direct. And it was a great return by her. Wow. You see, I'm a huge fan of Michelle McLaren and, I mean, she's a fantastic director, but I, I'm not saying this episode's terrible. I just think it's okay. And again, I'm not a book reader, so maybe I have a different point of view. But I mean, I didn't like the scenes with Danny. I didn't like the end of this episode. I didn't like the whole Spartacus reference. That was kind of odd. Um, there's a lot of things I didn't like about this episode, more than usual. I think this is my second least favorite episode of, of the series so far. I think my least favorite episode was the finale, like the final episode of season three after the Red Wedding. Oh, the Misa, Misa. Yeah. 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 Um, Problematic. Yeah. 
And, and I do like the episode. I mean, I like every single episode of Game of Thrones, but it, I think it's my second least favorite episode of the series so far. How much of that do you put to the writing and how much of that do you put to the direction? I put it to the writing, really. Um, yeah, all the writing. I mean, you know what? Like, even Carl Rast, his scenes really bug me. <laughs> this show has too much rape. There's, there is no reason to watch those men raping the women constantly over and over like it's getting to the point where i actually kind of want to break up with the show because i'm sick and tired of watching rape on my television screen every single sunday night for no reason and i would imagine we're we know that there's a group of people one of whom is one of our main characters who's heading out to craster's keep and there's a bunch of horrible people there i wonder if they'll get brutally killed yeah but we already know he's a horrible person we don't have to see him rape people over and over again I mean, how many times do we have to see people rape people on the show? I think that was such an easy fix. He could have just had that throwaway line about some sort of violence being carried out, and then they could have gone into the next room, and we didn't have to watch it for, you know, 10 minutes on end. The easy fix is that he was drinking wine from a man's skull. That's all we needed. Right? <laughs> yep. I, you're not going to hear you're not gonna hear arguments for me. I, th I think it, it fits with what we know about the characters. It underlines... Uh, what we get from Sam, because these are all men who were on the Night's Watch, and so very likely there are men just like this at Castle Black. And it could be that we're not going to see uh, uh, John ride up and kill them all. And it, maybe what will happen is they will be bringing, you know, killing the leaders and then bring the other ones, getting the other ones to sign back up because they need them to defend the wall and maybe that'll be a continuing darkness and nuance to what do you do if you're in that situation and you're Jon Snow? Do you kill them all or do you get them to come back and help you defend, you know, against your girlfriend? Uh, so it, it, maybe there's more coming with it and maybe there's a reason we're not aware of yet, but if not, I'm, yeah, I, I certainly don't need more use, more, more uh, pointless rape on my TV. There's way too much of it already. I think, yeah, they've proven that, I think they've proven that there's violence against women in this universe and they've proven it and proven it and proven it. And it's just now to the point where it's not necessary um, and it's not kind of appreciated from a storytelling perspective. And it's just a little bit lazy storytelling, like they have nothing else to put in there. So we might as well have some more women being objectified and raped at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of just over the whole rape and uh, that's about it. And hopefully we won't see more of it on Game of Thrones. But um, yeah, it's an OK episode. I, I you know, it had the direwolves. And, and they looked they looked like direwolves, too, which I appreciated. Uh, Summer was uh, like up to somebody's shoulder, which was was a nice little point of view shot. Well, uh, next week we have first of his name, also directed by Michelle McLaren and um Based on that title, I think Whitney and I have a bit of an idea of what's coming, but uh, but it should be it should be interesting. Uh, also written by Benioff and Weiss. Do we have any hopes for the the next few episodes that we can get into without having any book spoilers? Uh, do, are there characters that we didn't see this week that you guys missed? I need I need some Arya back in my life. That storyline's so juicy right now, and just such a great relationship. You know a little bit of a, a Thelma and Louise happening over there um, as much as that can be with the Hound. So every, any episode that's missing those two is really just a loss for me. So I'm excited that I, I assume they will be back next week. I think that's what I'm most looking forward to and how, how their storyline continues to progress. The one I didn't, I don't need back next week is uh, everybody with Stannis. 
we can continue to not see them for a while, and I'm a okay with that. Same thing with Theon. Ricky, how about you? Uh, same here, and I totally agree. I uh, I want to see more of Arya and the Hound, and more direwolves. And I kind of wanna, I kind of hope that Jon Snow reunites with Bran and the direwolves. And um, yeah, I want to see more of North of the Wall, and I'm hoping they just build Danny's world and the characters who surround her. Because I do like her character, and I think Amelia Clark is a fantastic actress, and I um, I don't know, I'm just not as invested in her world right now, and I hope that changes very soon. Yeah, I want more Oberyn too. That soap opera is just getting great, and he, that actor is, uh, him and his girlfriend are awesome right now. I, I hope that uh, comes to the forefront a little bit more than the wedding uh, next week. Him and Tywin. I'm sort of, I'm sort of worried that we're going to get a whole courtroom drama episode. <laughs> like, I don't want to see that. Like, I don't need Tyrion to uh, to be on the stand for like an hour while people are prosecuting him and whatnot. But uh, we'll see. Mum. I will mm. stay mum. <laughs> Silence for me. Yep. Well, uh, Whitney, thank you again so much. For, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Absolutely. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at WhitneyM02. Um, and uh, I will uh, tweet this out tomorrow as well when you guys post it. And the website, again, is my TV sang to me. Uh, I have some contributions at This Was TV as well. Um, so it's thiswastv.com, some past works, and my TV sang to me.wordpress.com. Uh, it's been a slightly dormant uh, about one a week lately, but I'm uh, ramping it back up to my pre. Uh, I made a big move in January. So pre big move, I, there should be some more posts on there. It's uh, about music on television. So excellent. One of my very favorite topics. As anybody who listens to our Sound of Sight Hannibal podcast well knows. Uh, Ricky, where can everybody find you? On Twitter, it would be Sound on Sight. And, of course, over at the website, soundonsight.org. Um, I do release my Sorted Cinema podcast every single week. We just reviewed my favorite film of the year so far, Only Lovers Left Alive, by director Jim Jarmusch. You can always check out my film podcast. And um, I guess that's about it. Tumblr. Tumblr is a good way to follow us. I'm not on Tumblr, but uh, I, I understand that all the kids are on there. All the cool kids are on Tumblr, and I just don't understand how it works yet. Maybe one of these days I will figure it out. But you can follow me on Twitter, at The Televerse. I love talking with you guys there. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the Sound of Sight Hannibal podcast goes up usually on Sunday, Monday this week. It's a little late because of Ebert Fest. Um, you can also find my reviews at soundonsite.org. And as of now, as of this week, uh, I'm, I'm covering Veep over at the AV Club. So if you are enjoying Veep this season as much as I am, you can uh, go over there and leave a comment and let me know what you think of, of, of this past week's adventures at Clovis. We'll be back next week to talk about First of His Name, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, directed by Michelle McLaren. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. When they took you. When did they take me? I was five years old. You remember your home? I remember when they rowed us away from shore. How white the beaches were. How tall the trees. And I remember my village burning, smoke rising into the sky. Do you remember your home? Ansari.
always unsullied. Before unsullied, nothing. That's not true. 